the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Vector Communications. Data networks built for business. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 208. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Bill Bennett. And I'm Daryl Webster. Welcome along, guys. Great to have you both here. Daryl, we'll start with you this time as a first-time guest. Maybe you can just give a, a little fill-in on um, what your involvement is with the tech world here in New Zealand. Sure. Thanks, Paul. I, I've um, got quite a background, really. I mean, uh, like a number of us, we've come from a, a sysadmin kind of area. I took a, a little break from IT and became a cycling poster for a while, so I got really well in touch with Snail Mail. Came back into IT uh, to help a, um, a company I used to work for get into Office 365, so getting straight into working with cloud services and helping businesses get onto using um, hosted services. Uh, so I, I've got reasonably well versed in that and moved now into a phase where I, I left high school aiming to be a, a primary teacher. I'm now a teacher of sorts. Uh, I'm a technology trainer for Share the Point. Excellent, that's great. And you're also uh, showing all your cards. You're a MVP. You've been awarded an MVP from Microsoft, which means that you uh, are recognised for your contribution to, in this case, I think the Office 365 community. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's it's a really nice space to be in because um, Office 365 is getting a lot of attention. Um, I don't see myself as an expert. In fact, it's hard to be an expert in Office 365. There's so many services, and that's where... I see, as a community, we're experts, and that, that's where I, I fit in quite well. I, I was quite active in the community, still am, and um, just love to share what I know and, and help people to uh, to learn, and, and I learn in turn from them. Great. And Bill? Well, I'm a journalist. I write for a living. I write about tech mainly, but not exclusively. Let's, uh, let's jump into our, uh, our discussion topics. First up, um, there's been a suggestion from the European go- government that Google should, uh, should be split up, should be broken up into, uh, into two companies, with one division being uh, Google Search, which, which we know as, as you know, really being the, the, the core thing uh, that people recognize Google for uh, on their desktops. But there are so many other aspects to Google now. And there's some uh, uh, suggestion that uh, this doesn't create a, a very fair and balanced Google in terms of the way they do uh, search and, and, and so on. Bill, do you think there's really any likelihood of, uh, of this happening? No, I think it's been some time since anyone in Europe could tell Americans what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, it could be that the EU puts some kind of restrictions on Google, but there's 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 something weird about that. Um, that it strikes me that it's almost as though the European government don't actually understand Google. Pretty much, the I think there's a fear part, bit that the European government doesn't understand. Yeah. Actually, well, the, pretty much the only part of the company that makes money is the search. I mean, really, Google is an advertising company, and all the other bits are really feeding people into their sort of funnel to collect information about them so they can sell more advertising so the two that the with you know without without the search the other part of the company is just worthless um doesn't have an existence yeah i mean i think in 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 most in most regards that that's right uh when i look at some of the cloud uh offerings 
yeah, the commercial offerings, those, those, those are somewhat different, although they do dovetail in with the fact that, uh, yeah, Gmail, uh, yeah, for instance, is, is there to, uh, to, to put ads in front of people. Yeah, I was right? talking at round numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, th- I think there's a lot of, uh, validity to, to that. I- any thoughts on, on, on that, Daryl? Do, do you think that, uh, uh, consumers would be better off if, uh, if Google was, uh, yeah, sliced up, and uh, yeah, would it be would it be a fair thing to to do to them? I mean, not for yeah, there, there has there has been uh, yeah alle- antitrust type sort of allegations uh, against them, but uh, I mean, in my view, I don't think that they're uh, um, they're misbehaving at any sort of level that would uh, would warrant this sort of thing. Um, there are very few companies in history that have been split up, right? Yeah, I I am with Bill on this, and in, in that Google is is all about making money through search. Um, you know, it's how much does it cost to put Android on a phone? You know, um, all those sorts of services, all the things that they wrap around Google. It's all about trying to drive people to using the search engine and gathering information, and therefore using it. So, splitting search away from all those other areas of Google um, would probably kill it. All right. Well, um, now m- moving on, Microsoft Sway. Now, this is this is an interesting product. Maybe Daryl, you can give us a uh, an overview of uh, of where sort of Sway fits into the the, the picture as a uh, as a product. Um, but the reason that we wanted to give it a um, a special mention is that. Microsoft uh, haven't launched Sway yet as a as a release product. It's still pre-release, uh, but they have opened up access to uh, their their iPhone app exclusively to or virtually exclusively to uh, New Zealanders. So if you uh, if you use an iPhone in New Zealand, you can just go into the App Store and pull this app down without having to jump through hoops to try and get as part of the preview program. Um, they've cho- chosen New Zealand to be a, a bit of a guinea pig. Um, I had a chat to the um, to Chris Yu, who's the principal group program manager. He's based in uh, Tokyo, where Microsoft are developing uh, the iOS and the mobile. Or I think all the mobile apps, uh, although that's fo- focused around iPhone at the moment. Uh, and I think in Seattle is where the, the core uh, development is, is happening. Um, Daryl, fill us in a little bit more on the picture on yeah, sure, uh, on sure. what this Microsoft Sway is all about. So um, Microsoft have um, taken quite a different direction with Sway. Um, it's purely an online um, app to start with. Um, the idea being that it's trying to give people a way of presenting their online content. So we might um, take pictures, make movies, etc., from our phones and from mobile devices. And, and just trying to provide a way to present it to people. So uh, some people described it as, as PowerPoint on, on steroids, um, it, something like that in a sense. But um, You really, don't usually create a PowerPoint to show to your friends, though, do you? It's usually sort of for businessy type things. And, and this, this has, you are, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, how many PowerPoints have you shown to your mates recently? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think so. I didn't, but, uh, I mean... It, it's very hard to categorize, though, isn't it? In terms of what Sway is, you can you can drop in photos and video and mm-hmm. and text and so on. Um, but but it sort of 
uh, it takes control of, of how it looks to a degree and, and throws it together into something that you can uh, send people as a URL link, drop into an email, you can drop it into an existing web page. It's, it's quite sort of versatile, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So it is about trying to give you a lot of guidance around the content that you put together and how you present it. So it's no longer death by PowerPoint, it's more more interaction. Yeah. So you send a link or, or you embed this sway into a blog post and, and it's it's shareable. Um, and you're more interacting with it. You're playing your videos, you're um, swiping through things. Um, you know, it's, it's so new. I mean, this is the thing about the way Microsoft have, have opened this up. Um, normally when they open it up to, to public to start testing it and working with it, um, they're far, far down the track, and, and they, you know, they're just getting people to, to load test it and the like. With Sway, they've brought people on really early. So this is where this concept of, of preview, it's almost like preview of a preview. Well, uh, Chris was sort of t- you know, talking, you know, when I was asking him questions about, well, who are you targeting, what are you, how you, what are you expecting the product to do? And to, to a, you know, he almost threw his hands up in the air, um, with a, I don't know, but it, it wasn't quite that way. But you know w- what he was saying is, uh, you know, they're developing this thing as they go, and, and based on the sort of feedback they get, will um, help them decide where to focus and what to do with the product. Um, I guess there's a possibility uh, that if they don't find the right things to do it, they would just they would scuttle it. Do you know what I reckon? It's the new OneNote. And OneNote. What a brilliant app OneNote is. I mean, I use it for everything. And I think, but when you first saw OneNote, you didn't really know what it was for. I mean, I think the very first iteration of OneNote was so that you could um, write pen notes on the first Windows tablets, the, mm-hmm. you know, those 12-year-old tablets that first came along. Um, and it didn't really end up being that. It's become something else. It's become places where people collect data and so on for so they can get back at it. Like Everyone that. uses it differently though yeah, to, yeah. A, to a degree. Which is, which is yeah. part of the beauty of it. I think Sway is exactly the same. The other thing about Sway is I looked at the demo and until um, until Daryl just explained that you could get the app here in New Zealand I signed up for the um, the, the preview. The preview. Mm. Um, but I looked at the demo and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful and the great thing is it's bad news if you're a designer but if you're not a designer, if you're a bit sort of cat-handed when it comes to designing things, it looks like anyone can make something look really impressive and good. Yeah, if you've got uh, if you've got good content, you know you can yep. you can hit uh, what's what's the button, Daryl? I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, you just you add can, a sway you, and you can, import. You can hit the button and it'll it'll, it'll uh, restyle it yeah. for you, right? Oh, the the mood remix. Yeah, yeah. the remix, and it, you know it just, it just it'll just pick a different sort of style for it, so you can you can just filter through. Yeah, rather than you know PowerPoint, you go and choose the template you like. This one, you just hit the button, it'll pick up another sort of uh, styling, horizontal or vertical sort of scrolling, and so on. And it'll it'll apply that, and you eh, don't like that one. Try again. Ah, oh, yep, that one's cool. And away you go. Then you can do a little bit of customization, but it's it's mostly pretty automatic. You drop a few bits and pieces in, and it it throws it together. Yeah, it's interesting, Bill, that you said or made the comparison to OneNote because um, the brainchild behind it is the same person and team that came up with OneNote. So it's it's that whole kind of the the team that's leading the charge to. Um, now they're leading the charge to putting different apps on on um, the different platforms. OneNote's leading the charge, and now Sway's going off and doing a new thing. And um, being that it is um, online based, this is why when Chris said, oh, 
well, we don't know where we're going with this. Mm. Um, that's the beauty of it. They've invited people onto the preview. They get the feedback and they say, what do you want it to do? And they're going to shape it around it. And they can do that because it's online. They're well, they were interviewing to... a bunch of people here in New yeah. Zealand, weren't they? Um, yeah, I sat down with them for, you know, for some time. They asked me all sorts of questions about my workflow, how I do different things. Uh, and, you know, I guess the more they learn about what works and doesn't work for people, they can, they can help develop this kind of, I guess, you know, we, we're talking about the future from Microsoft's perspective. If the future of Office incorporates some new products, then that helps make Office the unique product that Google and nobody else can compete with because they're trying to stay at the forefront of, uh, what are they calling it? Productivity. So the future of Microsoft is is improving people's productivity and if there's a new tool to do it, they want to be the ones to launch it. I saw it and I thought, I wonder if I can use this to make a magazine. And I think I probably can. So if anyone out there has got a lot of finance, (laughs) (laughs) but seriously, I think I think... It's interesting that people look at it and see different things, different possibilities. That's good. What I'll do is um, Chris sent me, uh, he, he listened to one of our recent uh, podcasts and he sent me some of, the, uh, some of the topics we discussed, some of the stories from around the, the web around, uh, around that and he fed that, uh, he put something together in, in Sway. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll probably take that, but I'll put up a link anyway on the uh, nztechpodcast.com site. So anyone that is interested in what's the Sway thing all about and you don't want to uh, necessarily spend a whole lot of time trying it out yourself is first just have a look at, at a sway so you can see what it it's what it does content. Uh, so yes yeah, so, and you can just just get a handle on oh okay that's what sway oh, produces God, I'm so going to do um, that over Christmas when it's quiet it's not going <laughs> to be quiet Bill you're going to be at the beach or doing something um, no we'll look forward to seeing some sways from Bill as well so um, but yeah I mean good on Microsoft for uh, um, you know for not just sort of sitting back and, and expecting to sort of um, you know milk the current office forever they, you know they're obviously putting some new versions and, and, and new capabilities but actually looking at other products as well that, that might help people so I mean obviously they've got uh, um yeah, shareholders to please and so on, and it's all about that. It's not just fun, fun stuff for us, but it just happens in this case. It's it's quite a fun, uh, fun product. I guess my my only concern is will they be will they be able to actually deliver something that that is useful? And we, you know, we've seen uh, you know companies put a whole lot of time into a, into a product. A bunch of people jump on on board and think, wow, this this is really cool. And then the rug gets pulled out because uh, we weren't able to commercialise okay, that, and, is, and, it, and it didn't work. Um, I'm thinking of a of um, in this case Google Wave, but you know no, there no, are no, other. Pull, 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 pull. This is 2014, and 2014 Microsoft is completely different. If it, if that happens, Microsoft will open source it. It will. It will. It's it'll, you know it's fine. It's a different beast you're dealing with. All right. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. I think the angle that they're taking now that they're trying to make an app to go onto a mobile device is actually going to be the feeder into this this great new service. Um, that, like Chris was here trying to understand how do people um, you know want to interact with the service? How do they get photos up there? How do they start recording things? And I really like the way that you know being able to take a photo using Siri to dictate in some some content, and then you've got your sway. It's up there. Um, it's pretty quick and easy to put together. Definitely. I mean, yep, I, I, I agree. I'm, um, I'm just curious to see where it, where it lands and whether it, whether it will will stick. Because it being a great product for a few people, 
doesn't mean that it's going to be big enough that Microsoft want to make it a standard part of, of Office for the next 20 years. Yeah. Mm. Uh, all right. So next up, Orion, uh, Orion Health um, have landed on the, uh, the stock exchange and uh, doing reasonably well there, Bill. I think it shows that the New Zealand tech boom isn't just zero. Um, we've got Orion, Zero, Winyard, E-Road, I can think of others. I could go on. Um, none of them are sponsoring me, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, seriously, it does. It shows that it's a, it's a coming of age because it's not just that we have this wealth of these companies and ideas coming through. It's that they're all distinctly different, with distinctly different agendas, models, and so on. It's, it's really quite something. And the the the, uh, the opportunity here, I, I guess that they, they set a um, by by another company listing like this and and getting such a strong demand for their shares from from investors. Uh, I think yeah helps give give other businesses the confidence that yep. this is a good track to go down, and it now sets Orion up. So that they can employ more developers, so that they can, uh, you know, expand globally and and give New Zealand uh, or give you know give give the firm uh, a much better presence than they would have been able to achieve without this incoming investment, doesn't it? Yeah, there was a huge risk in the um, in in their launch as well because um, a lot of their income comes from the US and it's based on the back of what Americans call Obamacare, and of course. There's now the Obama no longer has his party no longer has the majority in the um, in the American houses. So um, there's a bit of a risk involved there, and the fact that they managed to do this at that time tells you just how much confidence there is in their business and their, their company. Yep, doing very strongly. I think their um, yeah their market cap is um, you know within within very. You know, close cooey of uh, of a you know, billion New Zealand dollars, so uh, um, pretty impressive. I don't think most people would have uh, would have realised the importance of of Orion until uh, until this happened. So um, yeah, a pat on the back to um, to all involved there. Uh, now, Gigatown. This we got the announcement. Uh, was it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday last week. Uh, it's at six o'clock that Dunedin had won the Gigatown contest. Now, for me, I haven't really—I've got to say—I haven't really given the Gigatown contest um, a whole lot of airtime. It hasn't been something of, of too much interest to me. But now that it now that it's actually happened, and uh, and Dunedin. Uh, uh, yeah, residents and businesses are going to get access to uh, to gigabit internet. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually a, a little bit more interested. It's actually quite, quite exciting. Geeks don't like Gigatown. That's, that's pretty clear. You only got to go online and see. There's a lot of criticism for Gigatown. It's not for the geeks. It's for the ordinary people. It's actually the whole idea of Gigatown is to get ordinary people engaged and interested in the possibilities of fibre. I mean, the geeks all and, knew what it could And do. I think it's, it actually has, has – they've done a really yeah. – um, a pretty reasonable job with that. And it stirred up the other regions uh, that didn't win in terms of, you know, Nelson and so on, uh, Wanaka. Um, Even places that didn't make the top five, like Porirua, uh, now have a digital plan. 
You know, That's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, I mean, I'm not sure anyone could have predicted this. Maybe Chorus knew all along what sort of result uh, they were going to get. But I actually think this has actually been uh, been very, very good for uh, for those you know, New Zealand uh, cities and and areas that uh, that got involved because of the, you know some of the thinking, as you said, the strategies that have been put in place, and uh, you know just the 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 thought that's gone into well, what is the potential? What could well, we achieve if we if we had this? Kikatown got a fair bit of criticism because of the money that was spent on the project. And people say, well, that money could have been spent on paying for more connections or whatever. Well, the news is, is that part of the, part of Chorus's agreement with the government when it got the contract to build the UFB was it had to spend a certain amount of money on promotional activity to get people interested, to whip up interest. That's where that money is. It's not, it's not Chorus thinking, you know, um, it's not chorus doing this to say, "Hey, look over here. There's Kicker Town. Don't don't look at all the other stuff that's going on." It's actually part of their mandate from the um, Crown Fiver, um, and it's worked. The, the strategy worked. It was a good strategy. Whoever dreamt it up and the policy side, it's a good strategy. And whoever whoever ran the thing from chorus did a good job. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the results have been. It is, there's not really anything too uh, too negative about it. Now the bit, the other bit that got me um, that got me interested, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but um, you know, the, the commitment from uh, chorus from day one was to the town that that wins this contest, we will deliver at a wholesale level, the wholesale uh, piece of the connection, we'll deliver you gigabit. Uh, you know, uh, connectivity to to the internet or to your internet provider. Now, for Chorus, I'm, I don't think it's particularly expensive for them to deliver that that piece. Um, there, there will, I'm I'm presuming, be be some uh, you know technology changes within their network at a local level to you know ensure they can deliver that performance. I but think it's just different stuff in the cabinets. Yeah, so different different equipment there, but I mean the the, the same fibre obviously it's uh, yeah it's just putting a bit more light over the um, yeah a bit more data over over what over what's there in, in terms of the fibre optic cabling. Um, but there was always a, a bit of a question mark over well are internet providers going to offer people uh, you know, for the same price as a as a basic internet connection, one that runs at ten or or more times as fast. And when you sort of calculate how much people could potentially download, uh, you know, eye watering sort of uh, numbers there. But what we've seen is some uh, some pretty stunning plans so far from Orcon and from My Republic who have come on board, Vodafone say they're going to have uh, something on board by the time uh, Gigatown uh, services is available, which I think we're talking the uh, February 2015 uh, time frame. So Orcon are offering uh, for $95 a month um, unlimited or unmetered gigabit broadband uh, for a home user. And for businesses, uh, they've got something that starts at around the uh, at well starts at one hundred and ten dollars. They've got a slightly higher one hundred and thirty dollar one, which has got uh, I think a phone line, something else, a little bit more bundled in. But I mean, th- these are very low figures, aren't they? 
Well, just one question: Is this is this for people outside of Dunedin? This oh. this is for Dunedin. So this is their special Gigatown offering because Coruscant offering uh, Gigabit uh, as a standard UFB uh, offering in in general across the board for uh, for residential customers at this stage. Although yeah, business customers that want to pay for Gigabit, sure you can get it. Uh, but we're talking yeah, very very different uh, you know figures. We're going to talk a bit more about pricing, internet pricing in another item. But the thing is, we sometimes don't get our heads around just just what a good deal we're getting here in New Zealand um, with this. And we've gone from being quite low in the world in terms of what you get for your dollar um, online to somewhere actually pretty good. I mean, I don't think we're in the top 10 yet, but we've gone zooming up from from nowhere to build to um, somewhere respectable already. Um, my my biggest disappointment with Kicker Town competition is I would have liked it to have gone to I know I know Dunedin's very deserving case and everything I'm not I'm not denying that I'd have liked it to have gone to a smaller place like say Gisborne or Nelson because I think we might see the effect of it more readily in those places um, so from a so just a sort of almost like a sort of scientific observation of what happens when a town gets gigabit internet. We might have seen something more dramatic in another place, but hell, you know, Dunedin will do. It's a good place to put it. It's got a university, which is interesting. So there'll be tons of students, no doubt, making. Bill, do you mean perhaps that if it was in Nelson, you might have more businesses starting up in Nelson and saying, yeah. "I'm going to make that my technology centre"? Um, well, yeah, it would. It, it would be. It would bloom larger in Nelson's economic scene than mm. it would in. Dunedin, which already has a much broader economy of its own, um, and so yes, you might. I mean, it's the thing is, is it's probably not going to see many startups because um, it's only three or four years before every town's a giga town. Um, though it could, though it could be some of that. But I just think that Dunedin um, has enough economic activity already. But you might not see this overlaid on top of it, the effects of this overlaid on top of it as dramatically. On the other hand, Dunedin is a town which has a very rich industrial history, and that industrial era stuff is on the way out. So, and there's been some, there's been some good technology innovation out of, out of um, Otago yeah. in, in the past. Um, I mean, I tend to think because they've they've got a bit more scale. Uh, they'd likely be a bit more of a of a centre yeah. for um, investment and innovation and, and yeah. existing sort of businesses and so and so on established there already. But so it's uh, like bigger, so it's going to cost it's going to cost Corus more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that maybe that's part of the equation. Maybe they've decided it's actually better for them to to have it uh, in an area like that where yeah, maybe they'll see more activity. But uh, you know, on the flip side, we've we've seen. Um, we've seen Wanaka make the the yeah. announcement, or Chorus and Wanaka make the announcement uh, together uh, that the Wanaka um, community and council and so on are, are getting involved or have, have contracted Chorus to deliver ultra fast broadband, even though they weren't uh, they weren't actually on the map to uh, to have ultra fast broadband. Uh, uh, initially, they're just focused on the CBD, so it's uh, it's near. I think you know under two hundred uh, premises that are getting it. Wanaka's um, fairly well off place. I mean, I can see some. I can see some other fairly well off places, perhaps doing the same thing. 
but it's uh, you know the, the fact that that's happening is it's an interesting sign, isn't it? This first announcement we've seen of this nature, but it shows there's obviously uh, you know a real belief out out there that there is value in ultra fast broadband, and that's a different position than where we were probably you know around the time you know the early days of ultra fast broadband there were a lot of people saying oh you know you know is this necessary how important is it and so on uh, and now we're you know things are well underway and and gigatown's part of that uh, you know i think there's a there's a much clearer understanding of the uh, the importance of access to ultra fast uh, broadband, uh, yeah, both in business and and uh, you know in other situations in schools and, and residential access. I don't think this is unconnected to what we were talking about earlier with Orion and the sort of blossoming of New Zealand tech companies as well. I think we're actually going through um, something. Something's actually happening here at the moment in that whole tech space, and um, the excitement is actually getting outside of the you know the. the Orions and the Vens and the Zeros, and it's getting down to the places like Wanaka and so on. Um, hopefully, we'll see a, we'll see tech startups in places like Wanaka and Gisborne. And well, the, these things are certainly starting to happen. They do exist in those places. We might not always hear the stories, but uh, you know, I certainly, and I'm sure you have too, Bill. You know, been hearing from people in in all sorts of parts of New Zealand um, with stories of their startups or inquiring about certain uh, things for for getting startups off the ground. Um, so you know, these things are happening, and and. Uh, ultra fast broadband, you know, enables those people to to operate from anywhere in the world. Just in the way in New Zealand, when we're well connected, um, yeah, we we're able to operate globally. So, well, I, the other thing is, Dunedin, it's, it's, we sometimes forget this here in New Zealand because it's one of our main centres, but it's actually a very remote city by global standards. I mean, you fly from. London or Paris to Dunedin, it's like the last stop on the tram line, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, fair point. And, and, and the rest of New Zealand isn't very far behind that yeah. from, from that perspective, right? Yeah. All right, now uh, moving along. Um, Sony and their, uh, their crowd-funded e-paper watch. Um, this was an interesting one to uh, to, to read about um, in the la- in the last few days, and you know, f- first of all, uh, you know, we, we heard about this new watch that's uh, that uses e paper, and e paper, of course, is, is you know what's on the Kindle and these e book readers, and uh, you know, there's a very small amount of power required to put something on an e paper display. An e paper can be bendable and 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 so on and uh you know this this watch is a device with e-paper not just for the screen uh but also on the uh, on the strap so uh you know the the the, the whole thing uh can uh, can be controlled and then it came out that uh this actually comes from um um a Sony project uh called uh Fashion Entertainments that's um uh you know, design. There are a division that that's um, set up to, to make uh, fashion. <laughs> you know, fashion wear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what's unusual here is, although it's a watch and it's going to have you know, be sort of uh, yeah, micro trip controlling what's what's on there and so on. It's not your uh, not your traditional 
smartwatch, and we've been hearing so much about all these wearables, all these sensors and, and different things, um, but this isn't that. It's, it's mostly just a, a watch that, that, that's, a, that's a, it's a fashion item. It doesn't have all sorts of fancy things like showing you your tweets and, uh, uh, and anything else. I like that. Um, yeah, so I'm curious. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on is there a, is there a place for this, or or is this just a, a step in a track towards um, a smartwatch of the of the future that will maybe be e-paper, so its battery can last for uh, weeks or months on end, plus some of those other sort of smarts built in. Although it's those smarts that tend to use up the battery, isn't it? Yeah, it is the smarts that tend to use up the battery. So. Um you think about most of the um, other devices which require some kind of wireless connection, some kind of low low power consumption, Bluetooth, that's what's chewing up the battery. That's always turned on. It's always sitting there signaling your phone saying, hey, um, I've got a new message. But, I mean, maybe it's not such a bad thing to have a semi-smart watch. <laughs> Some, somewhere in between. Yeah, somewhere in between. That it, It's smart in, in the way that it looks, and it can change the way that it looks. It can um, adapt to what you're wearing and change its skin. And you know, that's, that's the fashionable side of it. As far as doing anything smarter than that, um, maybe you don't need to. I mean, we've got something that shakes in our pocket and lets us know we've got a text. Maybe we don't need to have something that shakes in our wrist and says, you've also got a message. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with that. Um, the other thing is, is the whole wearables, particularly the watch side of it, is so much a work in progress that people are just chucking ideas at the wall and seeing what sticks. And, you know, hey, Sony's got another idea. They're chucking it at the wall and seeing what sticks. Good for them. But, you know, something, This the first generation, the current generation of smartwatches isn't really a thing that is going to catch on. It could change any time, you know, next, the next wave or whatever could change that. But it just isn't going to happen at this stage. But the Sony thing actually looks like it's, it looks something nice for its own sake. Well, I think uh, the, the, the fashion piece is, is a key part of the future of wearable devices. You, might, you know, wearable devices either need to deliver something absolutely new that's, that's, that's you know, fantastic and, you know, isn't being done by our smartphone, for instance, etc. So, you know, we're seeing wearable devices that have heart rate sensors, varying other sensors. So, there's something that can be done because it's on your wrist. The the other side is that fashion element, and people will pay a lot of money for a fashion item. And it could be argued that the iPhone is as much a fashion accessory as it is technology. And I, you know, I know that there are there are there are certain gadgets that people will carry because of you know, uh, you know more than what it let, lets them uh, lets them do, right? It's it's a uh, it's a statement that they carry a particular piece of technology, um, in the same way they drive a particular type of car or they you know they wear uh, you know particular type of outfit, right? So that, that whole fashion side, I th- I think um, makes makes a big difference to the picture. But I'm curious whether the two, you know, two have got to come together to to, uh, to deliver something. Well, maybe the next step is the smart T-shirt. You know, paper T-shirt. You've got you've got <laughs> whatever mood you have and whatever you message you want to say for the day. 
you broadcast it on your shirt. Ah, oh, someone's sending me a smart T-shirt at the moment. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, it like this? No, no. I- <laughs> with, a, with a statement on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would like to see a variation of that, um, but wrapped around my car. So, you know, when somebody cuts me off on the, on the motorway, or, or maybe I would be on the receiving end with, the, with some of my driving, but um, it would be quite cool to be able to, uh, yeah, to put those messages up. Um, maybe use Siri to talk to your phone, your phone will control, and you'll put some uh, some messaging up. Offensive language. Oh, no, no, that wouldn't be me, Instructive Bill. language. <laughs> Perhaps you could have turned on your indicator. Yeah, we'd put, wrap some polite messaging around it. I um, see you're having trouble with your driving. Would you like me to help? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, so yeah, we could have a whole lot of fun with that. Um, I, I can just, I mean, writing the app that controls that and having all these pre-written sort of messages about, you know, people who have got their uh, driver's license out of the Weetbix box and all these pre-canned things that you could put up and, and um, you know, I'm looking at you, red car, red um, whatever it is that's driving dangerously Flash or something. Um, Flash up an ad for an optician. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that that could be a lot of fun. So yeah, the, the future the future of these things, I, I guess, is somewhat unknown. I mean, I'm um, uh, you know you you've got to look at look at Apple. They they generally manage to pull these things off when they launch something new. We haven't seen any of the wearable devices yet have a you know gain a huge market uh, you know market sort of dominance. Uh, I guess you know on the on on the health side, um, the you know the, there's there's been a bit more of a. Um, um, a win there, but we, you know, when we, when we look at the sort of smart watches, there's nothing that's uh, that you know that's really broadly, uh, you know, broad, broadly adopted. It's, it's Fitbit has probably you know been one of the strongest and names yeah, that's yeah, sold Fitbit, lots of devices. I, I saw some statistics saying something like seventy five percent of all Fitbit devices are no longer worn. Right. Well, there the you go. Yeah. So yeah, and that, that's a challenge. They've got to make a device that that people are going to keep wearing. If there's a fashion aspect to it, and people have paid a lot of money. I think I think they're going to wear it. Yeah. Right. All right. So uh, now moving on from from that one, uh, something else that I came across was um, e-cigarettes being um, potentially a a cause of malware. So this just uh, this just sounds bizarre, but we're starting to get a whole range of uh, products. I've seen. Uh, uh, mini fans that you can plug in at your desk that it's just a cooling fan and, and you expect that it's just using USB to get some power. So people will take this little cooling fan over summer, plug it into their laptop and go, ooh, I'm a bit cooler at my desk. How cool is that? Um, but potentially any of these devices that use USB charging could actually have a have some sort of a, um, a microchip in them, could have some sort of uh, storage and maybe could carry some malware. And, uh, yeah, there's been some media going around about a, an electronic cigarette, one of these e-cigarettes, uh, that USB charges, um, that, that has actually been uh, spreading some malware. So um, whether, whether this is actual reality, I think uh, part of the story certainly was, was um, uh, around that it's a potential 
that it, there's potential for it to happen. I'm not sure whether, you know, from the reports I've read, whether this is something that's really happening, but I guess it, it highlights, um, you know, risks around all well, types of technology. As long as they're putting a nice label across the packet to explain those risks. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's an e-cigarette. It's Warning, this may contain malware that could be harmful to your computer. It could cause lung cancer. It sounds like really <laughs> bad science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but fascinating, you know, all, all the same. And, I, I, you know, there, it, it, I guess it reminds me of, you know, the fact that technology isn't always, isn't always as it seems. And, um, you know, you never know when you buy something off a street somewhere or other or, you know, from an unusual source or, or a different product you've never bought before whether uh, um, maybe there might be some ulterior motive in the, uh, the, the company that's uh, uh, selling it. All right, um, enough about um, dodgy, uh, dodgy cigarettes because we could go in all sorts of directions with that discussion. Um, now, the, the new acquisition from uh, Microsoft, Bill. Aptly. Oh, a company, right? A company, yeah. What's, the, what's this one about? Oh, I downloaded that this morning. Um, it's another email. It's, it's actually got email and calendar combined in the, in the app. Um, my guess, my take on it is that Microsoft is has made a big play into the app space. We've already talked about that this mm. evening, and it's it's just taking up a bit more territory. They've actually got another a bit more space. You know, in effect, people have about fifty apps in their iPhone. I don't know about yours, but I think Microsoft's got about five of mine already. This would be the sixth one. And that's what they're doing. They're claiming territory in people's, um, on people's phones, on people's tablets and so on. And from there, you can go on to build an empire. And I think that's effectively what it is. It's a land grab. Well, they've got to compete, don't they? Because, uh, you know, particularly if we're talking iOS or iPhones and Android devices, um, you know, the, the, most of the apps that people run aren't Microsoft, no. right? Let's, let's, let's be straight up about it. And, uh, you know, Google, are, are, you know, they're, they're pushing their own um, apps and they've got the new uh, email app that's, that's available on, uh, on, um, on Android. And is it available on iOS? I forget which de- which device I um I've, I put that on. Um, but yeah, they they need to make sure that they're they're in the palms of people's hands and that people are running their software. And this to me seems a little bit like, or it's been referred to uh, in in some of the materials I've seen online as sort of a version of Outlook, which people like on their desktop uh, to to run on your smartphone. And uh, yeah, similar-ish, yeah. Yeah, so if they if they can, I guess, pick up a little bit sort of more uh, mind share there, that um, it's got to help them in in some way. But it is odd, and that Microsoft could have easily come out and developed their own product. Or oh. is is this product so much better than uh, well, than everything else? In your opinion, somewhere in a Microsoft laboratory, somewhere there is a three quarters finished version of Outlook for iOS. I guarantee it. Um, this gives them a shortcut to that market, I, I, I guess. And um, it may be rebranded at some point as Outlook as well. Because 
the talk was in the direction of $200 million for this acquisition. Yeah, yeah. This is a big number. No, but it's back to the land grab thing. It's about, it's, it's about claiming that space. The more of that space that you have, there's three companies that are chasing that space in any meaningful way, Microsoft, Apple, and um, Google. And between them, it's literally a fight for space on people's desktops, on their um, tablets, and on their um, phones. And the idea is, is that the more of that that you have, the more of a future you have as an organization. You know, the more market share you have, the more relevance you have. And it just feeds back into selling. I mean, having an email client on your iPhone, it's, it links back to the people that are running Exchange in the... Um, you know, in the in the corporation on the service mm-hmm. and so on. It's all about that land grab and it's all about keeping those people within the Microsoft camp. Fair enough. Well, I guess they've got um, OWA, don't they, uh, currently, which Microsoft mm. have available on uh, on Android and on uh, and on the iPhone. Yeah. So, D- Daryl, what's your pick on on where this fits in and whether it's important or or, or a waste of money? Uh, well, it, it's it's new to me, but I know how much work they've put into OWA for iPhone and, and Android. I also know the the thinking behind it that they're trying to create something of a, a bubble. So one one thing that um, corporations are always worried about is what happens when someone takes their BYOD, their phone, um, and they've got business data on it, namely the, a copy of their mailbox. So OWA for iPhone and Android. Um, create this bubble that they can flick a switch and say, but that person's left the business, we're going to be able to wipe that data. The bubble, in a sense, is they're not going to wipe the rest of the device. So that's one big advantage of the OWA for iPhone and Android. I don't know quite where Accompli fit into this, but perhaps there's something really special about that app that they might be able to combine with this this direction because the direction they've taken with OWA for iPhone is, is what I think the direction they're going to take for the number of apps, creating them all based on the same code, being able to sit across all sorts of devices and um, be able to update and change them very, very quickly. So a company, maybe it fits in there somewhere. Yep, well, um, um, I'm sure someone, someone's got a bit of a plan for it. Or they believe it's just the, it's the next big thing and that they can... Uh, yeah, they can they can do even better. Well, two hundred million is not much to Microsoft, but my word, it's a payday for the guys at the company. <laughs> yeah, I think if uh, if anyone any any one of us were delivered a uh, a reasonable uh, slice of uh, of that sort of money, we'd um, yeah we'd we'd certainly want to want to hear what it was all about. Microsoft, if you're listening, Paul's email address <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> just don't have anything to sell at the moment. Um, all right, let's. Uh, Let's let's talk about well what's really been the, the big news today. And Bill, you know this area probably better than just about uh, anybody. I mean, the, the, this is Commerce Commission and Chorus and and the ruling announced today. You've been following, um, yeah, this from the outset. What, what maybe you can just explain briefly what what what's been announced uh, today by the Commerce Commission? How does it vary from what was announced earlier on in the year? And what are we talking about? This is the this is the wholesale cost of um, delivering a, a landline or, uh, or, or or ADSL uh, yeah. type internet connectivity to um, yeah. to customers. Um, well. 
okay, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to simplify this. So excuse me if people listening think I'm I'm oversimplifying it, but it goes like this: when um, when Chorus demerged from Telecom at the time to build the um, UFB network, it was always part of the scheme of things that the Commerce Commission was going to come in after a certain amount of time and rule on the copper access price. Um, that's turned out to be way more controversial than anyone thought at the time of the merger for all sorts of reasons, political reasons as well. I mean, if you remember a year ago, there's a lot of politics involved in this and the government tried to change legislation over this but failed. Um, the, in, some ways, in some ways, it's actually less important than we're led to believe because the copper network, believe it or not, isn't going to be around forever. And there's... there's no one's actually talking about a cutoff date yet, but it's going to cut off, and the cutoff is going to be within a decade. So, or you know, maybe a decade. Maybe for, 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 for at least for you know, seventy-five uh, percent, yeah, or yeah. it's now going to be more than seventy-five percent of the of the population that will have access to uh, yeah fibre-based uh, internet and yeah telephony services and so on. Right? I'm picking it or move on to the political agenda either next year or very soon after, but possibly next year, that the talk of the cutoff of the copper network will happen. So this only applies until the copper network's cut off. Now, what it's really about is the regulated price. That's the price set by the Commerce Commission, which um, telcos and ISPs pay to use Chorus, the, the copper network, which is controlled by Chorus. And it flows on to us as, yeah. as, as users, right, in terms we, of what we pay. Yeah, that's right, because we pay... I mean, they pay 30-something dollars a line to use it, and we pay, you know, that's part of the, their cost when they charge us for their for internet services. Um, now, the thing is, the Commerce Commission set a price earlier this year of about, I, th- I forget the exact number, but it's $34 or thereabouts. And uh, everyone went berserk at Chorus because that meant that Chorus would get a billion dollars less over the next five years, just the rest of the build, the the rest of the fibre build, than they otherwise would have received in terms of income. That's important because Chorus is recycling the money it gets from selling copper access in order to pay for its uh, UFB build. And the UFB build is costing Chorus, well, no one's talking exact numbers, but it's in the region of four or five billion all up, of which about a billion dollars is government money. So there's... A shortfall for Chorus, and Chorus wasn't likely to go bankrupt on the results. Although there were, although there were you know, question marks, but there were certainly so, certainly some suggestions from the Chorus end of things that this this was going to have a pretty heavy impact, a very heavy impact, and, mm-hmm. it, and that it may have affected the company's ability to build the UFB. It may not. You know, it could be that Chorus is gaming things a bit. It could be that they're not. Who knows? We don't really know exactly what's going on inside that organisation. But what we do know is that there are is that Chorus is a private company and it has shareholders, and those shareholders, one way or another, believed that the company was going to be earning a lot more money than it now seems it's going to be. Remember that the the fact that the Commerce Commission was going to drop the price was always there from the outset, from the moment the company demerged from telecom. But it seems that the cut that the Commerce Commission arrived at was less than most people thought it would be, um, significantly less. The price that's announced today, which, again, I can't remember the exact number, but it's about, I think it's about $38 uh, 
um, as opposed to thirty-four dollars. Um, is still a cut of about six dollars a line over over the current price. So it's still a cut. It means that instead of losing, or not losing, but instead of a shortfall of one hundred and seventy million dollars a year. Which is what we what we would have seen with the the draft ruling announced earlier on the year, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chorus is now going to be short by about eighty million a year. Um, it means, for example, that Chorus will probably be able to keep its credit rating, which means borrowing money won't be as, as hard as it otherwise would have been for the company. Um, it means that shareholders will probably see a return sooner than they otherwise would have done. Well, they seem to have uh, really back, backed well, this uh, announcement with the share price having jumped 17% yeah, today. exactly. Well, that, well, the fact that the share price jumped 17% and Telecom, or sorry, Spark's price is down uh, about 5 or 6% tells you the, the whole story that the cost is going to go on the um, ISPs who may or may not be able to pass the cost on to consumers. They're talking about the... Today, Spark said that it may have to. It's going to review its prices, which means that, it, you know, in other words, it means brace for a price increase. The fascinating thing about that, though, is they've actually been uh, the price is coming down, oh. but they're still but they're still saying we're going to have to put the the price up. So, explain where that okay. where that fits in, tip it, because tip there it. is some there is some method in that, isn't there? Yeah, basically, in very round numbers, the price of um, the price of broadband has come down about 20% in the last year to 18 months. Some of that price drop was in anticipation of a lower access charge. And it's now going to go back up probably 5% of that. So in other words, we will have seen a drop of 15% instead of a drop of 20%. That's, I mean, I'm talking in very round numbers, and it may be that there's no price increase because the thing about the ISP market is it's intensely intense competition there and because they're all buying in effect the same bundle of services they don't really have very much scope to compete on anything but price so i mean there's there's something to do with back-end services there are some varying differentiators but uh you know prices is price is pretty much it so so the problem is is really what this comes down to, what the argument really comes down to is who gets to pay for the UFB build? Is it the chorus shareholders? Is it the poor old public? Now, the thing is, is, if the public wasn't paying for it through paying for more expensive internet, it'd be paying for it through taxes or something anyway. So, so the money is going to, I mean, one way or another, the money is going to come out of your pocket. It's just whose pockets it passes through on the way to the building the network. And, um, earlier, it looked like it was going to, you know, the Telecom, sorry, Spark and um, Orcon and Core Plus and those companies were, were going to do quite nicely out of it. Now it looks like Chorus will do quite nicely out of it. But it's really, that's the real issue at stake here is, you know, who are the winners and losers? The share price movement will tell you everything. And the, I mean, the longer term view is very much that the, uh, the, the, what they call the LFCs or the local fiber companies, um, of, of which Chorus is the biggest, yeah. their revenues all going to be coming from, uh, from, um, ultra fast broadband type services yeah. for the, uh, yeah, that, that, that's where all their money will come, come from. There won't be any, uh, anything, uh, copper related, but that's, I guess that's the time window that, that you're talking about until, uh, um, you know, either there's a, a natural, well, there will be a natural drop away, I, yeah. I guess. Now, it hasn't happened yet. Now, if I ask both of you what you have at home, is it, uh, is it a you know, copper-based internet 
uh, service or is it is it fibre? Mine is copper. Um, I have sought after fibre and, and strangely enough, been in the edge of an industrial era. I kind of expected it to be there, but I've got copper. you got copper, Bill? Yeah, copper you, feeding. You're, in the, you're yeah. in the same state and I'm, I'm in the same state too. So, you know, there's, a, there's still a huge chunk of us that just don't have any choice at all. But come, well, yeah, come the end of 2019, it's certainly for us sitting in this room, there's a... There's a there's a very very high likelihood uh, that we will have had the choice and we probably will have made the jump away from copper. Well, and there's two other points I just want to run over. Sure. In what's happened today? One of the other one of the aspects of that is that the price now puts the the wholesale price of a copper line at a dollar more than the wholesale price of a fibre line, whereas previously the copper line would have been cheaper. So there's actually although that although as a consumer you're not really going to notice very much difference. It does mean that there's no cost reason for you to not move to fibre, which there might have been had the Commerce Commission stuck with a really low price of copper access. So, um, so that's it's it's not enough of a difference to swing the balance, but it's certainly not going to hurt the uptake of um, fibre. The other thing is is that um, as part of the uh, a, a separate reform which started yesterday is that there's now a charge for split lines. So if you've got your telephone with, say, Spark, and you're buying internet services from, say, Cool Plus, you now have to pay another, I think it's another 10 bucks a month extra for that split service. Now, the, the terrible thing about that is, is that the split service was effectively the unbundling of the exchanges where companies like Cool Plus... Orcon and so on put their own kit into exchanges uh, to bypass the existing network and create more competition. And create competition, and that happened about three years ago. It actually meant that we went from having a very monopolistic uh, net, uh, uh, telecoms market to a very competitive one. This really damages that competition. It actually punishes the com- the, the competitors who've opened up the market and. There's a feeling, I mean, there's a feeling quite right, quite rightly so that it's a bit unfair that they were given, they were dangled a carrot three or four years ago and that carrot's been snatched away from them now. Um, and this could actually see the market consolidate into fewer hands um, as a result. But whatever it does, it actually, re- it actually reduces some of the competition in the market. So there is a problem there. Um, and um, I, I just saw before I came out that at least one of those smaller companies is spitting tax over the news. Well, you know, who can blame them? Mm. I think um, the local loop unbundling was 2006. Yeah. So it's, it's, been, it's been a while. So it's not, it's it's not quite as bad as if people had, or, or companies had just started investing in it because it, it has been happening for a while to, no, it's quite to varying though. degrees. Uh, it's quite slow to take off. And uh, there, ha- there hasn't been much investment in that in recent years because people thought this kind of thing was coming. So um, the investment had slowed down. All right. Well, I guess uh, you know, the pleasing thing is is that the whole picture is there now, yeah. isn't it? And, um, yeah, how, how this will impact prices. I mean, we, we, we get these announcements from 
the varying companies about how it's going to hurt them or help them and you never know quite how balanced some of, some of those comments are um, but the fact that it will actually this you know the, the pricing is, is such uh, that it's not you know there, there were some comments that hey with the pricing um, being being discounted so much at a wholesale rate this is going to keep people away from taking advantage yeah. of ultra fast broadband well uh, now that you know the pricing isn't isn't as cheap that sort of takes uh, takes that away which is is interesting but I mean not not a not a, uh, a huge difference in terms of the the, the numbers and the in the broader scheme no, of it. Real impacts on the telecoms industry because um, telecom last year I think dropped twelve million on broadband. It, it, its broadband division lost money. And pretty much broadband it's not it's not a lucrative market in New Zealand. I mean no one's coining it for broadband. They might be making four or five percent, which is, you know, not a bad return, but it's not a no one is no one is coining it out of this market, and yet we're seeing new players coming uh, coming into the uh, the market. Um, yeah, my my republic. I mean, they're, they're focused on the the uh, ultra fast broadband space. Um, it's a very specific model with my republic. Mm, mm. All right, so that sort of wraps us up on um, on really all all our key sort of news topics. Um, Daryl, have we got time to uh, to pick your brains? Um, SharePoint's a thing that you've been doing lots and lots with. Have you got uh, you know maybe one or two sort of comments on? Um, I guess you know recommendations you could give for businesses that are uh, either utilising SharePoint today or interested in utilising it in terms of you know where are the top areas where people gain uh, gain benefit. So since we've got you here and 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 it's an area that you spend a lot of time uh, training people on and and uh, and talking about, anything you can share? Yeah, um, I guess yeah, I've got a, I've got a few things to to um, offer to to the SharePoint space. Um, firstly, like when a... When a so uh, if we just switch back, for those that, who don't know about SharePoint, maybe you can give a 10-word a, um, a, a, um, a description of what SharePoint is. <laughs> in fact, it's one of the first slides in, in our training and we ask the question, what is SharePoint? We leave that open and we often have about eight or ten different responses um, and all of them are true. Um, SharePoint <laughs> is many different things. Um, but I'll, I'll exactly. <laughs> but I will, I will put my line out there, which is actually probably good, was going to be my last point about SharePoint. Um, in that, I like to take it back to its core meaning. The word is SharePoint, so it's a point to share. Okay, nothing, nothing tricky about that. Now, it can be many other things. It can be like we work with development shops and they do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. They make it into a publishing area. They, they uh, make it into a platform for all sorts of different apps. They can reach out to other business systems and draw data and you know present it in reports. It can do all those things. You can get people branding it and making it look really pretty. But if it's not a point to share, then you are missing the point. Right. So it's a big information repository exactly. in general for business. Yeah. Exactly. So um, one thing that I work in the in the Office 365 space as well, and that's they use a, a hosted version of SharePoint, SharePoint Online. And, and what we see um, at the moment really is a lot of businesses, they're getting onto Office 365, they're putting in their email, they're moving that over. But a lot of people are also leaving the SharePoint piece of it Till later, they say, "Oh, we're not sure what to do with this yet. How do we use this? How do we make 
make use of it. Um, you know, the, the thing that I would like to encourage businesses to do is to just make a start. Um, sure, it is huge. It can do many things, and you might start off in a slightly wrong direction, but just make it a point to share. Don't feel like you have to grab everything and put it in SharePoint like you're shifting to some brand new server. Um, you know, what we do see with, with businesses at the moment, you have your IT departments and they put a lot of restrictions on and say, we, we've got to turn this feature off and that feature off. Um, we don't want you accessing this. So what does a, what does a traditional colleague do? They, they just find their way around it. Okay, well, if you can't provide the tools for me, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to sign up for this free service and I'm going to do my thing. So if you can at least um, relax it a bit as far as a business goes, allow people to use it as just a point to share. Now, people are grabbing their files and they're wanting to share it in other services, then why don't you allow them to just relax it a bit and, and um, use it purely as a, as a place to share your files to start with? Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's good. Well, I mean, certainly, and you know, different uh, businesses have different experiences with how they utilise these things, and you know, each each organisation. Um, yeah, and I know our our audience covers you know from from consumers to small businesses to uh, the you know CIOs and whatnot across uh, universities and government departments. So we, we, we've got all sorts. Uh, and 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 they'll each have different ways in which they're either already using it or or wondering how to use it. Um, but I'm sure there are plenty of organisations that just just haven't got started with it yet. And uh, there is that almost uh, um, well, yeah. There, there, there's often a fear of new tools in terms of well, what, what could go wrong. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, what, yeah. what would you what would you say to that audience? Um, I, I would say. Looking at looking at how Microsoft is treating SharePoint, they have a hosted version that they host themselves, and they're still at the moment um, allowing or producing some software that can be installed on your servers. They're making a lot of changes in the online space quite rapidly. And one of the changes that they've made, and it's it's actually putting question marks in, in the heads of many techs, is this thing called Office three six five groups. All of a sudden people can provision their own space without the need for IT to get involved. They can say, hey, I want a space to share my files, to create calendars, to have a conversation, and I'm going to start it. Me, the person who all I have to do is click a plus button and put in a title. That's right. It's consumerization, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. but I think the, the key thing about that direction that's happening in, the, in their hosted space at the moment, SharePoint Online, is that it's, it's trying to get... IT back to what it's about. It's supposed to be people-centric. And so um, what, while we still need our controls to be able to say who's using what and who's using up the space and um, how do I control that as an IT admin, you still want to allow people to get on with work. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I guess often the technologies, the structures and uh, you know varying aspects of the product, security and so on, uh, have gotten the way of that, and it, it's it's a it's a pretty hard thing though for an organisation to balance that because if you open it up to a to a free for all, wow. uh, you, you know you you end up with potential security issues. You end up with all all sorts of things to I, to manage that you lose track of. I was so. going to go there because um, I saw I I saw a SharePoint installation where I was at the place I was doing some um, contracting, and really they use it like Dropbox. Right, and I was thinking, okay, well, why don't you just use Dropbox? Well, hang on a minute. 
you know, Dropbox is pretty not secure, pretty much not secure, and you can share stuff outside the organisation. So well, Dropbox has been improving too, though, hasn't oh, it? Oh, yes, it has. Yeah. But, the, but what I'm saying is this organisation mm. uses SharePoint as they would use Dropbox. Mm. Um, but it's an internal server. It's internal. It doesn't go out. You know, stuff doesn't go outside their, their walls. And it's secure and safe. Well, that was kind of an eye-opener, really. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think uh, we're, we're out of time for this episode, but uh, thank you both for joining me. Now, Bill, where's the best place to track you down online? Um, you can find me on Twitter, Bill Bennett, um, NZ, or BillBennett.co.nz is my website. Well worth reading. Always interesting bits and pieces, although you've been so uh, heavily employed on other people's uh, <laughs> projects uh, recently, writing for the Herald and and, uh, and whatnot. You haven't had uh, so much time to... Uh, no, I, was, I, went, I went a week without publishing anything. But to, to blog, which is very unusual for you, I've got to say. You, you can you, tell how much money I'm earning. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bill's shouting, uh, shouting uh, dinner all week. That's good. Um, and Daryl, where do we track you down online? Uh, well, I, I make use of my surname, webster.net.nz, so I'm, I'm working on the web, and I thought I'd play along with that. Such a geek. That's very cool. That's very cool. Excellent. Um, well, that's great. You can track me down, uh, Paul Spain, on Twitter and uh, paulspain.com. Uh, and for the podcast, um, the best place to go actually is podcast.co.nz, uh, where we're really building a, a place where uh, you can discover the best of New Zealand podcasts. Uh, that website will certainly be developing out over the next uh, next few months. Uh, but for now, you can uh, you can find the new uh, in New Zealand uh, motoring podcast that's just launched. Obviously, uh, uh, updates from the New Zealand Tech podcast and uh, various other ones that we're involved in. So hey, thanks everyone for uh, for listening. And we'll catch catch you next week for the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Vector Communications. Data networks built for business.